Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. God's got to stick together, man. Praise God. Well, hey, good to see everyone out this morning. So excited that you're able to come and just partake of the Word of God. And uh, we've been in a series called Meat Eater. And so we're going to continue to look at that. And again, we're going to take a little bit different turn today. And uh, I just encourage you, you'll want to come next week as well because we're going to conclude and wrap this up. And so, man, I'm going I'm to purpose to challenge you real good next week. And so uh, don't miss next week's last finality of Meat Eater. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> hey, does anybody, uh, I'm looking out across the crowd, and there's several of you that are probably my age or a little bit older, but how many of you grew up uh, watching Little House on the Prairie? Anybody? You know, not, not, not syndication, or, or, or while it was in syndication, not the reruns. I mean, I know there's reruns now. My kids watch them. My kids actually love Little House on the Prairie. But how many, raise your hand again, if you, if you grew up watching Little House on the Prairie, several of you in here, some of you are saying Little House on the Prairie, that was a sissy show, I didn't watch that sissy stuff. I can remember, I can remember being a kid and going to the barber shop with, with my dad. Does anybody remember Hicks, Hicks Tackle, you know, it used to be over there in uh, the Mount Morris area, you know, I remember as a kid, they'd put me up in the barber chair and they'd put that little board across so they'd sit you up higher and then they'd crank it up you know to get you up a little bit higher but I remember Butch was the guy that he's still he's still cutting hair today there in Clio but Butch I remember him when I was just a little kid talking about Little House on the Prairie and says man did you watch this week's uh, uh, show of Little House on the Prairie and the guys yeah I watched it and he says man isn't it just a, isn't it just a bugger he says every time you watch that thing he said by the end of the by the end of the show he says you got tears running down your face you know and I'm like yeah as a kid I remember that I mean it just pulled on your heart but I can remember looking at that show as a kid and just enjoying the series, and, and I'm watching it now with my kids as <clears throat> they're growing up. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but there's often times that I've looked at those times in that era and thought, man, wouldn't it have been a good time to live back then? Anybody ever kind of think that way? Think, man, it would have been nice to live back then. You know, just the, the simplicity of life, you know, just... The slowness, the slowness or the pace of life was a whole lot different, you know. I, and the thing about it is, is that when you watch Little House on the Prairie, you see all the drama and pretty much just kind of the soap opera storylines that they present to you. But they never really show the hardships of life back in that era, right? Because you realize that back then, there was not all the conveniences that there are today. And so every day was really a battle for survival. Did you know that? I mean, you were just working your hind end off just to survive, just to get through the winters and through the tough times. In fact, I did some research, and during that era of, of 1870 is what that time frame was set in, the average expectancy of age was 40 years old. I mean, a good majority of you would already be six foot under, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I would have been gone too. But again, it was a hard time. It was, it was survival of the fittest. It was just all that you could do, you know. And, and again, just thinking in those lines, I've often asked myself this question. Could I survive 
you know, do I got the grit? Do I got the guts? Do I got the goods that if I was to live back then, could I have made it? You know, I'm a, I'm a hunter, and, and so I can think, you know, back when I was a kid going out, you know, hunting with uh, dad and the, the, the relatives, and there were different times where, you know, you got turned around out in the woods, and everything starts to look the same. And I can remember as a kid a couple of times where, you know, you got to kind of yell out, and, you know, you can hear the quiver in your voice, Dad! <laughs> and he's like, well, what do, you, what do you want, you know? But just thinking, man, if I was out there in the woods all by myself, could I survive? I mean, could I provide meat for myself? Could I, could I live? Could I find water and shelter? Could I, could I actually survive, right? Again, maybe you don't ever think that way just simply because life is so, so soft and cushy nowadays. But you know what? Even in this era that we're living in, with all the conveniences of life, in fact, the average, or I should say 90% of Americans live 15 miles or less than a, from a Walmart. I mean, you think you got it rough. Like I said, 90% of Americans live 15 miles or less less from the nearest Walmart. I mean, where you got all the conveniences. And yet we've got all these conveniences of life, all the technology, all the aids and whatever else that we could experience in this life. But do you know that there are still a lot of people in this life that are feeling like they're just barely surviving? They're going through the motions and they're saying, I feel like I'm just surviving. I'm just making it. I'm barely just one nostril above water. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, you got a roof over your head. You got a car that gets you down the road. You got food in the cupboards. But yet there's something on the inside of you that feels like there's all this pressure. That it feels like I'm barely making it. That I'm just trying to survive. Here's one thing that I know is that when we live a life where we're feeling like we're just surviving. Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying because you can have all the amenities of life, but yet still feel like you're just surviving. And if you feel that way, and if you're in that position here today where, man, I am just barely surviving One thing that I know is that in those moments or in that season of life, our focus is on flesh. Do you know what I mean by that? It's on the natural man of life. When we're feeling like we're just surviving, our focus is on all the natural, physical carnal stuff of humanity rather than recognizing that there is heavenly help just at a call away. Amen? Come on. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I feel like I'm just surviving. Listen, by the end of this message, I hope that I stir you up to know that there is hope. That you don't just have to survive. That you can thrive. Say that with me. Say, I don't have to just survive. I can thrive. Amen. How many of you want to thrive in this life? Amen. I do too. I want my marriage to thrive. I want my, my, my family to thrive. I want my church to thrive. And when I say my church, I'm talking about you. I want to look at you, and I don't want you coming into church just dragging things. No, they're dialing it now. I want you to come in thinking, yeah, 
We're thriving, right? Man, I was, I don't know if you're a people watcher like me, but man, I was in Walmart the other night, and uh, <laughs> yeah, less than 15 miles away, man. <laughs> but it was late at night, and I can't remember what I was getting, but anyways, I was there, and, and, and so I start watching people. And, and just seeing their countenance of how they're walking around the store. And you can just tell that people are just carrying heaviness on them. Right? I mean, just surviving. Just trying to survive. I went to McDonald's just yesterday. And when the woman gave me my, uh, my coffee at the window, I mean, it, it actually made me laugh. Because, I mean, she was so grumpy. And he's like, there you go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You know, it's just like, wow. I mean, can't you be, aren't you supposed to be nice? <laughs> you know? But again, what do people do? They carry the weight of the world on them. And people are oftentimes just surviving or feeling like they're surviving. Here's what the Word of God says. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Before I formed you, so God wants you to know that God has something to do with who you are. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, he's speaking to a specific individual, but one thing we know the Bible says is that God is no respecter of persons. That if he's done something for one, he does it for all. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's speaking to this man and he says, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. I knew you and I had a plan for your life. In fact, not only that, I consecrated you and called you for a purpose to change nations. Amen. So what does that mean for you and me? That before you were formed in your mother's womb, before you were even a thought and twinkle in your dad's eye, God says, I knew you and I had a plan for your life. I had purpose for you. I already saw it laid out before the foundations of the world. And you might say, well, what was it? What does God see? What does God see about me? Well, here's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. It says, for I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and well-being and not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. Amen. So once again, before we knew God, he knew us. Before we became a child of God, he already saw what you were supposed to be doing. Before we were ever uh, drawing close to God, God had assigned a future for you. Amen? Now here's what we oftentimes think. Well, and this is the silliness of, of religion and church goofiness. But you'll hear this many times. Well, God calls some people to struggle in this life. You know, some people are the haves and some are the have-nots. And sometimes God just puts things on certain people that they can live well. And some he puts on others that they're just, they're just going to struggle in life and that they're just barely going to get by, just barely trying to survive. No, we just saw there in Jeremiah 29, 29 11, he says that my plan, my thoughts for you are thoughts of well-being. To succeed, to prosper, to get ahead. 
Come on. God's plan for all of us before the foundations of the world were never just to survive, but it was to thrive. Amen. Well, you know, I, I know that that's good and it's easy for you to say, Pastor, but, you know, God just put some calamity and, and things on other people's lives, you know, and therefore, you know, through calamity and all this stuff, you know, God will get glory out of it somehow. You know, God does that so he can just show who he is. No, that is not the will of God. In fact, the Bible says this. It says that God, his plan for your life is not to bring disaster. Didn't we just read that? He says, my plan is not to give you disaster in your life. Well, listen, I've experienced a lot of disaster. Well, I would just ask the question, what did you do to create that disaster in your life, huh? Come on. I've had some disasters with my wife at times, and, and I can guarantee you it was never her fault. All the men said, yes, I can relate to that. Praise the Lord. Now, I, I say that jokingly, but I'm serious. If I've had issues that I've caused with my wife, I can't look at my wife and say, well, why are you acting that way? Why are you talking to me in that tone of voice? Why'd you hit me? If you see me wearing long sleeves, that's why, because she hits me. <laughs> no, she, are, are you with me? He says, I don't call you. I don't purpose for you. My thoughts and plans for you were never to have calamity and disaster. And that word disaster also translates as failure. Come on. When I read that, man, that lit me up. Whoa, praise God. I'm not a failure. God's never called me to failure. And if I hook up with God's plan, we can't fail. Amen. Why? Because of God's plan. It's not just to survive, but it's to thrive in this world. But as I said, if all we do is focus on just trying to survive in this life, all we'll do is focus on the flesh of this man, how I feel, what I see, and it will uh, uh, cause me to act in the arena of my flesh rather than receiving the help from heaven. Some might say, well, that all sounds good, Pastor. But I think God overlooked me. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? Like, well, that's good. But if God ever did something good for me, I don't know so. But look at what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Notice what it says here. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Notice what God says. He says, does it make sense? I mean, is, can you even reason that a mother that has nursed her child could forget about him? Could not have compassion on that child? Yet there are mothers and women that have done that. He says, but not me. I won't forget you. I won't forget you because remember, he said, before you were ever in your mother's womb, he said, I knew you. And he says, I knew the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, and it's to thrive, and it's not just to survive, but it's to be a blessing, and it's to have something as a testament of my goodness in your life. Can you say amen? So what does that mean? What does that mean? If God says, I haven't forgotten you, remember we said uh, concerning this this title if you will meat eater it's off of a hunting show that that i said that i liked 
But I want you to know that God hunts for you. You see, God has a plan and a purpose of great things for your life. And it was there before you were ever born. He knew you before you ever knew him. But see, God isn't just content knowing that there's a plan and a purpose for your life of success. He says, I come after you. I come after you. I'm coming to find you. You might feel like you're in the deepest pit of your life right now, but I want you to know that God comes to find you, and he knows where you're at. Look at what it says here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, verse 11, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. He says, I will seek them out. Come on. He's looking for you. He's hunting for you. You might feel like you're a million miles away. No, 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 no. That might just be the feeling. But God says, I've been looking for you. Notice what it says in Ezekiel 34, 16. It says, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up, their bro- bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. What does he say? He says, I will bring them back. Praise God. So from the very foundations of the world, God had a plan for you. And the Bible tells us that when man was born when you were born you were born separated from God but the moment you were born God says I'm coming to find you I'm coming to restore you there's going to be things and times in your life where you're broken where you're sick he says but I'm going to mend it I'm going to fix it I'm going to heal it because that's who I am I'm coming to find you I'm hunting for you amen that's the heart of God he's hunting for us we have this notion that, that God is mad at us. Have you ever felt that way? You've heard that maybe? Well, you better turn or burn, baby. You know, hellfire and brimstone. Well, there is a hell to escape and a heaven to, to receive reward of. But God's not a hellfire and brimstone God. It says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Amen. I mean, how... how How successful would I be if I slapped you in the head and said, Jesus loves you? What? Praise the Lord. Thank you for just slapping me like, no. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. God's not mad at you, but he is madly in love with you. I said, God is madly in love with you. And he so wants to know you, and he's anticipating you knowing him. He's been anticipating knowing you since the day that you were born. Amen? Remember I said that, you know, there are things that happen. Calamity happens. Bad things happen. And God is not the author of any of that. But did you know that God can take those bad situations and turn them for his glory? You know, there's a a woman in this church... uh, She's been gone for a few weeks now. Uh, I believe it's Florida that she went to. Uh, She had a family member that I think had had gotten hurt or uh, an elderly individual. And so she went down there to help. I think it was her 
or father or stepfather or whatever the case might be. But I remember before she went down there, she was asking me, she goes, how do I lead somebody to the Lord? She said, I just, I just want to make sure that I don't do it wrong. And so I just kind of helped her and just gave her peace of mind, like, you know what, you really can't do it wrong. You know, God will help you and God will use whatever you do. So she sent us a text yesterday. Here's what the text said. She says, I got to witness to my brother, and he got saved. She says, I'm so happy for him. I feel like my heart is going to burst. Glory, glory, glory to God. Amen. Amen. Here she went down to be the nurse aide for a family member. But when she went down there, she says, I'm going down there with intentionality. And she said, I got to lead my brother to Jesus. Come on, man. I mean, think about that. She says, my heart's about ready to burst. If you've ever led somebody to Jesus, got them out of a place where they just felt like they were thrive, thrive, uh, surviving or even dying. But you brought them over to an acknowledgement of God loves you. I mean, you'll know what she means when she says, my heart feels like it's bursting. And all the while she's saying glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. The Bible says all of heaven's doing that exact same thing. Glory to God. Amen. See, out of a calamity, God turned it for his glory. Amen. Not just surviving any longer. This family member came to know Jesus and now is going to heaven. Praise God. Isn't that good news? God desires for us to know his love. But once again, we have had this image of God as though he's hard, he's rigid, he's demanding, that he's only one-sided, that if we don't just live perfectly, that God is somehow mad or disappointed with us. But the scripture actually says that God will never, he makes us a promise and he says, I will never be angry at my people again. Amen? And as I said, we've got this mentality that, that God expects us to be perfect. And only when we're perfect is that when God steps in and loves on us. But that's not so. I mean, look at it from the story of the Hebrew boys. You know it. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You remember that story? Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, we're going to make a, a, a big... Uh, idol of me and everybody's going to worship me and bow down before the idol and the Hebrew boy says no we can't do that king and he says well listen I'm going to give you some time to reconsider and they reconsidered and said no we still we're not going to bow down before you and so he got mad and he says alright he said I'm going to throw you in the furnace if you don't change your mind he said I'm going to burn you alive can't do it king alright let's make it hotter stoke it up get it going Made it seven times hotter, it says. It says, you're going to bow down? They said, no, can't do it, king. The Bible says that they threw the three Hebrew boys into the furnace, and the soldiers that threw them into the furnace, they actually got killed or died because of the heat that was coming off of the furnace. The king came back later and looks into the furnace window. The Bible says that he sees the three Hebrew boys, but sees a fourth man in the fire with them. It was the Son of God. It was Jesus. He calls them out. The Bible says that there wasn't even smoke. The smell of smoke on them. And he restored them. And the Bible says that he began to worship their God. What's my point? They chose to do the right thing. 
But in choosing to do the right thing, hardship came. So it doesn't mean just because you're walking with Jesus that hardship don't come, that difficulty don't present itself. God, I've been doing everything right. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. How come this is happening? Welcome to the life on this side of eternity. (laughs) God even said that. He said, don't think it's strange. So you can be doing everything right with God, but there can still be difficult things that happen. Do we allow that to move us and say, well, does God not care? No, the Bible says that God still loves us, but not are we going to turn from what we're facing and just going into this mentality of God, I just got to survive through this. No, we can thrive through the midst of it because in the midst of the fire, he's right there. I said he's right there. But on the flip side, when we know that we're not necessarily walking with God we again start to think of God a little bit differently we start to say well if I was walking with God the way that I should then I know that I could have a greater expectation for what life is giving me but I know that I've not been living right I know that I've done this I know that I've done that I know that I must have disappointed God and so therefore God must be a long ways away from me, and therefore, I've got to work it out through, through my own ability and strength. Here's what I want you to know. God was so relentless in his love for you and me. The Bible says that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means he loved you so much That in spite of all your sin, all your shame, all your failures, he still sent Jesus. He still thought you were worth it. And in spite of it, he sent Jesus to die for your sins. So if he was willing to send Jesus while you were yet sinners, then do you not think that he is still as close as the brother that he says he is in the time of your failures or your your acting out in the flesh? He's right there. My point is this. You can't go to the deepest depths and not have him there right next to you. You can't go to the dirtiest joints and think, well, I guess Jesus didn't follow me here. Oh, no, he's right there. He's right there. You think, well, God couldn't see this because God don't go to these places. Listen. If you're a child of God, if you've asked Christ into your heart, you might be making foolish decisions. You might be uh, walking in an opposite direction from God. But nevertheless, just because you've chose to walk in a different direction doesn't mean that Jesus hasn't kept following you. Amen? So even if you're saying, I don't feel like I can turn to God I feel like I'm just surviving and because of my own choices I've got to just continue to do this on my own because I know what I've done the whole point is is that Jesus said I stick closer than a brother he's right there just waiting for you to call for help there's a gentleman that was the head of the hell's angels. Well, before I tell you that story, let me just share this this verse with you. Because it ties in with just where we oftentimes find ourselves 
or how we feel because we know choices that we've made. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 31, it says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, God's mercy is there. And I'm telling you what, my wife and I, we've had conversations at different times. And she and I, we've got a whole lot different personalities. You know, I'm the kind of guy that's just like, well, you made your bed, you might as well lay in it. My wife is like, you know, that's not the mercy of God. God don't look at it that way. His mercy sees it a whole lot different. Thank God that she sees the, the bright side. You know what I'm saying? She reminds me. In fact, she just did that recently. She said, God's mercy don't look at it that way. Isn't that the truth? Because we see ourselves through the flesh and the things that we know that we're pursuing or it feels as though we're pulling away from God. But God's mercy is new every morning and it pursues you. He's hunting you down. He's wanting to love you. He's wanting to be loved by you because he's got a plan and a purpose and success. Not failure, but one of bright things. Amen? I mentioned this man by the name of, of Mac. Mac uh, 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 Gober is his name. Gober Gober. Um, but he was the head of, of, of Hell's Angels. And uh, he was telling this story of when God was beginning to work on his heart. He said, man, I have done some horrific things. And he said, I was going in one particular place, and he said, somebody gave me one of those tracks that says, Jesus loves you. And he's like, you know, Jesus couldn't love me. I've done too many things. And said, and then he went back to his apartment or his house, and he said, you know, there were some guys there. They had been partying. He said, you know, they're doing all kinds of things. And he says, I happened to look down on one of the tables, and he says, I found another track there on the table. It said, Jesus loves you. And he said, I'm looking at that thing. How did that thing get in this house? And one of the guys came out from the back and he said, he said, do you know how this got in this house? He says, oh, yeah. He said, a, a, a lady brought it by yesterday. And, and she was trying to tell me about Jesus. And he said, I punched her in the face. Busted her teeth out. But I hung on to that. And so... Mac took that little pamphlet and went into his bedroom. And he said, God kept dealing with his heart. He said, God, but you can't love me. He said, all the things that I've done. God, you can't love me. And he said, in that moment, he had an open vision and saw Jesus on the cross. And he sees him and Jesus says to him, Mac, I love you. He said, but Jesus... You know the stuff that I've done, and Jesus says, I love you, Mac. And he says, God, but you know that I've raped that. And he says, Jesus interrupted me mid-sentence every single time I started to tell him what I did wrong. And Jesus said, I love you. He said, he interrupted me and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And see, when we're trying to survive, all we're doing is looking at all the things that we've done that disqualifies us from the help of heaven. But God wants you to know, I want to step down and interrupt you right now and tell you it doesn't matter. I love you, and I don't want you to survive. I want you to thrive. Amen. Amen. And so my heart for you this morning is to know 
that you don't have to continue on this path of feeling like you're estranged from God. You don't have to continue to walk this life thinking, God, I'm just, I'm just surviving. Because God said before I ever made you, I knew you. And I had a plan. And that plan was not one of failure. But it was one of well-being. A future. And a hope. My question is, is do you want to know that purpose and plan this morning? Some of you may already know it. Some of you might say, it's been a long time since I've stirred that up. Because I know where I've been. I know what I've done. Some of you might say, I never knew God had a plan. But listen, today, God said, it's time to thrive. Amen. Can we all stand? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Your life might have been a life that has just been consumed by being a meat eater. And what I mean by that is that your life has been consumed with just letting your flesh take you here, take you there. Pull you here, pull you there. Cause you to bow down to that craving, that desire. But God says... My desire is that you not just give into the flesh, but give your life over to me. You see, it's one thing to ask Jesus, <clears throat> to ask Jesus into your heart. There comes a point in the time when we realize that we're lost and that we need a Savior. There comes a time in our life when we say, okay, Jesus, I'll receive you. But there's an exchange. Because not only does God want us to receive Jesus, He's wanting us to surrender our hearts, our lives, so that He can receive us. And so if you're here today, and you've said, you know what, I've asked Jesus into my heart. But I don't know that I've ever surrendered my life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Because it's the difference of surviving and thriving. It's the difference of going through life not having any purpose and coming to a place of knowing God has a divine purpose. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I just feel that tug at my heart. I know that this is the day, this is the moment, this is the time. Don't let it pass by. And again, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, that you've not received Christ into your life. But I'm saying, have you ever laid your life down before Jesus and said, Jesus, I give you me. And I purpose to live for you. Because I want to thrive. On the count of three, if you're here today and you say, first of all, I want to receive Christ, never ask Jesus into my heart, I want you to take that opportunity to receive Jesus. 
But also at that count of three, if you say, you know what, I want to lay down my life. I want to give, I actually want to give my life to Jesus today. When I hit three, I want you to just lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's making judgment calls. We're just purposing to get real with God right now. On the count of three, I'm going to receive Christ. On the count of three, I'm going to give my life to God. You raise your hand. You ready? One, two, three. Lift your hand. One, two, three, four. See four hands. Anybody else? You can put it down once you put it up. Today is the day that I want to just give my life to Christ. Amen. As you're contemplating that, if you're wrestling with it, here's what I want you to know. It's the best thing that you will ever do. It will cost you everything, but it will gain you everything. And what you gain and what you lose, the exchange just doesn't have any comparison. One more time, if you were saying, I want to surrender my life, I want to give Jesus my life, would you raise your hand? Amen. All right, I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to worship God a little bit. Amen. Might be a little different than what we normally do, but it's all right. It's not getting a rut, right? Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. Thank you for forgiving me of sin. And restoring me back into a relationship with you. I ask you to come into my heart. To be my savior. And I receive that gift. Right now. But now I choose. To give you something in return. I give you me. I give you my life. I surrender me to you. Jesus. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites, which can be found at our website, gvchurch.tv. We know that today's message has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.